0: History this week, May 7th, 1824. I'm Sally Helm. In the Cernatur Theater in Vienna, the orchestra is warming up. Violins, oboes, trombones, even the humble triangle. They're preparing to play a new piece of music, It's extremely difficult, and they've only had one day of rehearsal. So they're taking these last minutes to go over their parts, get some deep breaths in, before they go in front of an audience. And the conductor taps his baton. There are actually two conductors tonight. One of them is the real conductor, the one the musicians will be looking at to keep the time. But the composer has insisted on conducting two. He's extremely famous, known to be kind of a handful. His name is Ludwig von Beethoven. So as the orchestra is tuning, Beethoven is there too, in the concert hall, conducting, but not listening. Because he can't actually hear the sounds. At this point in his life, Beethoven is almost completely deaf. And yet, he has just written and is about to unveil what might be his greatest work. Today, the debut of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, one of the most important and recognizable pieces in the history of music. Beethoven's genius is legendary, and so is his deafness. How exactly did he compose the Ninth Symphony when he couldn't hear himself play? And why has this particular piece of music survived through the ages as an ode to joy? J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You may already know parts of Beethoven's story. And even if you don't, you've almost certainly heard his name.
1: He's in some ways the first composer I glommed onto, or one of them, when I was a teenager. I heard that Beethoven was supposed to be good, so I started listening to Beethoven.
0: Jan Swafford is a composer himself, and he wrote a biography of Beethoven. In 1770, when Ludwig von Beethoven was born, The name Beethoven was already associated with musical greatness. At least in Bonn, the small state in Germany where Ludwig grew up.
1: The family was totally involved in music. Beethoven's grandfather was Kapellmeister of court music in Bonn, which means he was the most important musician in town. Beethoven's father was a singer in the court choir, and he was also a voice teacher.
0: And when Ludwig was born?
1: Basically, Johann von Beethoven, his father, quickly decided that his kid was going to be the new Mozart.
0: A lot of parents might hope for that, But in Ludwig's case, this wish came true.
1: At age 10, he was already a fully professional pianist and getting to be at least about as good as anybody in town.
0: At age 16, Beethoven left Bonn to study music in Vienna
1: and... He apparently met Mozart and there's an old story that Mozart wasn't all that impressed with his playing because it was very
0: hard to impress Mozart. Beethoven, though, was determined to do it. He knew how good he was.
1: Beethoven at one point said, Listen, can I improvise for you? And Mozart said, Yeah, go ahead. And when he heard the kid improvise, Mozart told some people in the next room, Keep an eye on this kid. He's going to, the world's going to hear something from him. Did that really happen? Nobody knows. But apparently he did meet Mozart. And he might very well have studied with him, but he had to go home because his mother was dying. And he didn't make it home before she died.
0: This was a formative tragedy in Beethoven's life. His beloved mother, Maria, died of tuberculosis, leaving Ludwig and his siblings with their father, Johann. He and Ludwig had a toxic relationship. His father was severe, sometimes hitting him or locking him in the basement. Johann had always been a heavy drinker, and that got even worse when his wife died.
1: The kids started finding him in the gutter and having to drag him home and convince the police not to arrest
0: him. Beethoven struggled. His home life was difficult. And his years of focusing on music and only music had left him emotionally unequipped.
1: Beethoven, as a teenager, did not know how to live. He didn't know what friendship was, and he had not been raised to care about any of that.
0: He had an explosive temper, few friends. He was arrogant, didn't really take care of himself.
1: Let's put it this way. His landlord's uh, daughter once sort of costed him and said, you know, why don't you clean yourself up? You're so dirty all the time. And Beethoven said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a great man and nobody will
0: care. That turned out to be true. And Beethoven was an incredible slob for the rest of his life. Eventually, his social skills did improve somewhat. He had a few friends in his late teens, and they noticed that when they were with him, he would do this odd thing.
1: He would simply go into another place. He would just be talking to somebody and he would suddenly just not be there. He was in his head this tendency of his to go off, they named his raptus, his
0: rapture. The raptus. That's what Beethoven called it. Modern psychologists might call it a flow state.
1: The reality is when you, when you write music, when you're an artist of any kind, when you're doing the art, you are in a kind of trance. And the Beethoven raptus was profound. The rest of the world, including, I believe, his own body, just kind of faded to the background.
0: The Raptus helped Beethoven grow as a composer during these years. And it probably helped him deal with the more difficult things in his life. It was an escape. And it was during his teenage years that Beethoven first heard a German poem that would change his life. An die Freude. In English, Ode to Joy.
1: Ode to Joy was, let's put it this way, the, the 1780s. It's the decade at the end of which the, it was the French Revolution. Before that had been the American Revolution, and there was an atmosphere of revolution in the air. There was this tremendous sense of excitement, hopefulness, that the world was going to take a turn, and humanity was going to take a turn into a better place. And the Ode to Joy was one of the artifacts of that time. And it's about how do we find Elysium? How do we find the ideal state? And what it says is we don't find it from God. We don't find it from rulers. We find it for ourselves.
0: When Beethoven heard Ode to Joy, he immediately knew that he would someday set the poem to music. He had been soaking up the revolutionary fervor of the era, and he believed in that idea of finding paradise for yourself. Beethoven had this influential teacher, Christian Nefa. This teacher was into the idea that people should use their gifts for the good of humanity. Beethoven really believed that, that his music could inspire, that it could even outlive him.
1: The idea that your music could make you immortal, in other words, a historical figure, was brand new when Beethoven was young. Mozart never talked about immortality, ever, that I ever found. Beethoven did.
0: In his early 20s, Beethoven returns to Vienna, where his career takes off. He gets some important patrons. The aristocrats love him. As at that first meeting with Mozart, it is Beethoven's skill with improvisation that sets him apart.
1: He just had the most remarkable ideas and the intensity of it. that You know, he would just start playing out of his head in front of a, an audience of people and have them in tears. <laughs> and, you know, crying and and moaning, and nobody had ever— people had heard great improvisers before. Mozart improvised in public a lot, but nobody had ever heard anything like him in terms of sheer intensity of emotion.
0: Beethoven is becoming more and more famous, getting better and better. And then in his late 20s, something terrible happens. He starts to lose his ability to hear.
1: Beethoven's own account of how he became deaf, as fate would have it to do with his terrible temper.
0: Beethoven is rehearsing in his apartment with a singer. And they get into an argument. The other guy storms out. Beethoven sits down to keep working. Then the singer comes back, starts pounding on the door.
1: Beethoven was furious and he got up in a fury and said he stumbled and fell on his hands and he said, when I rose to my feet, I was deaf.
0: Now, this may well have happened. But it's unlikely that the fall caused Beethoven's deafness. He had been sickly for a long time.
1: Clearly, something had been going on before that, but it's entirely possible that's the first time he noticed it. One possibility is that he had typhus, which was very dangerous in those days. And that may have caused the the deafness, but we don't really entirely know. He could have also had lead poisoning.
0: Beethoven's drink of choice was a particular kind of cheap wine that used lead as a sweetener. Even in those days, that kind of wine was illegal to make. But he drank it. And for that reason, or some other reason, we don't know for sure, he starts to lose his hearing. Which is, of course, terrifying.
1: If it got around that he was going deaf, he figured he might be doomed as a musician, and that's not an irrational fear.
0: In the next few years, his hearing gets worse and worse. And he's covering it up, living with this terrible secret.
1: And that came to a head in 1802 when he was in the village of Heiligenstadt, working intensely in a whole lot of pieces. And he had a
0: breakdown. He's in the depths of despair. And he writes a letter to his brothers. We don't know if he ever sent it.
1: It's sort of half suicide note and half defiance. He basically admits to them, I could have killed myself, but it it was my art that held me back. I couldn't imagine leaving the world until I had done everything I knew I could do.
0: Beethoven still believes in his abilities, even though more and more, he just can't hear the music he's playing and writing. But he begins to see a path forward.
1: He finally said, I've got to tell people about this. I can't hide it anymore. And the hell with it.
0: He knows that his life is going to have to seriously change.
1: His career as a pianist was doomed. He was going to have to make his living as a composer, which was easier then than now, but it still wasn't easy.
0: And of course, it's going to be even harder for a deaf composer. But there are ways.
1: Musicians, composers who are trained can hear music in their head.
0: Beethoven could also see music by looking at his hands on the piano.
1: I think there was a sort of connection of his fingers to to pitches in his head. Even when he could no longer hear himself improvise at the piano, he still did it. Hours and hours and hours.
0: And he begins writing some of the best music of his career. Sonata Patatique, published in 1799. The Moonlight Sonata, 1802. His Fifth Symphony, 1808. Even as he's churning out these amazing works, He never stops looking for a cure. He
1: did every single thing he could possibly do to hear.
0: He tried using something he called an electro-vibrations machine, used leeches, bloodletting, special baths. He put horseradish in his ears, tied tree bark to his arms.
1: He, He had a gadget. We don't know exactly what it looked like attached to his piano to amplify the sound. He had ear trumpets. Sometimes he would take a pencil and hold it in his teeth and touch it to the strings of the piano to feel that he could hear the pitch in his head. I mean, that's that's one of the saddest things
0: in the world to me. Doctors were at a loss. And meanwhile, Beethoven's health overall was just getting worse and worse.
1: His digestive problems were enormously painful, and he had a whole row of diseases on top of that and illnesses and... Eye infections and fevers that went on for months and just terrible, terrible things. But I think he was able to get past that because his creative trance was so profound.
0: His trance, his raptus, it helped him write no matter how he felt.
1: A friend of his showed up at the department once and he was finishing the last movement of the third piano concerto in one day. And he was throwing up the whole time
0: but he finished it.
1: The raptus simply allowed him to get past the pain.
0: As Beethoven enters his later periods of composing, his country is changing around him. Napoleon has recently been defeated. He came close to taking over all of Europe. And in response, Austria is clamping down on anything that looks like revolution.
1: Vienna became an absolute police state. There were spies everywhere. You could get arrested literally for speaking the word freedom.
0: The ideals that the teenaged Beethoven cared so deeply about are slipping away. And an old poem starts replaying in his mind.
1: Ode to Joy, it begins, Praise to joy, thou God engendered daughter of Elysium. And Elysium, again, is the ideal human society. That the human society is going to be brought by joy. And that's what Beethoven meant when he took it up.
0: Beethoven also imagined the piece as a kind of anthem.
1: Believe it or not, it has to do with the idea, I think, of national anthems, which were a new idea at the time. And his old teacher Haydn had written... God Save the Kaiser, which was basically the Austrian national anthem. And I think Beethoven was always jealous that Haydn had written the Austrian anthem. And I really believe that Beethoven said something in the order of, okay,
0: I'm going to write an anthem for humanity. He wanted the melody to be instantly recognizable, something that anyone could learn and remember.
1: He knew he had to write the joy theme 1st da 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 -da 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 Da-da-da-dee-dee-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
0: Beethoven starts composing the symphony in 1815, and early on, he knows that the grand finale is going to feature this poem, and that it's going to be the first time that any symphony has ever included singers. As he writes the piece over the course of several years, his hearing continues to decline, so he's drawing on all these techniques and workarounds that he's developed
1: feeling the notes when he improvised on piano, hearing it in his head, taking a lot more time to write. That's another thing. As he said himself, I can't test things on the piano anymore. I have to write a different way.
0: He finishes the final score in February of 1824. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: The Ninth Symphony mostly is a brand new orchestral sound, and he did that just out of his head. It's extraordinary.
0: It is a masterpiece. But it takes a few months before the Ninth Symphony is played in front of an audience.
1: The drama over the premiere came from Beethoven himself because he was such a pain in the neck.
0: Beethoven didn't want the premiere to happen in Vienna, even though it was the music capital of Europe. The City was really into the composer Giacchino Rossini at the time. You may have heard his work. Beethoven thought Rossini was competent but inferior. And so he threw a fit about holding his big premiere in Vienna, where everyone had Rossini fever. His friends eventually convinced him. Then he had to find a theater, hire musicians.
1: All these things were incredibly complicated, and he made them ten times more complicated than they needed to be.
0: The musicians only had one day of rehearsal. It did not go particularly well.
1: There were times when half the violin section, who were amateurs, had their violins just on their laps because they couldn't play it. One of the sopranos told Beethoven, if you're going to write that many high notes, I'm just going to have to torture myself for art.
0: The symphony was incredibly intricate, way more difficult than most things being performed at the time.
1: It's still a very hard piece to play and to sing. It's just brutal to the to the singers. But it's Beethoven, so the world has learned to sing the stuff. They they've had to raise their game in order to sing what Beethoven wrote.
0: But these musicians in Vienna do their best to prepare. And the day after their only rehearsal comes the concert. The hall is packed.
1: A huge audience just somewhere between tremendously excited and, and curious about what he's going to come up with this time.
0: Beethoven had insisted that even though he was deaf, he had to be allowed to conduct his masterpiece.
1: Standing in front of the conductor, he said, I'm going I'm to beat time, I'll set the time. And the conductor said, very nice, and told the performers, ignore him, watch me.
0: Beethoven comes on stage wearing a green frock coat because he didn't own a formal black one he and the other conductor both raise their batons. The start of the Ninth Symphony is unlike any other symphony in history up to that point. It begins small and shrouded. And then the melody grows... And grows. Beethoven conducts wildly, swaying back and forth, stretching his arms up, crouching down to the floor. Remember, this whole time, he can't hear. The music.
1: And in the last movement, he does something absolutely radical. You hear a little bit of the first movement, and then the bass section comes in. Clearly, without words, says no. Not that. You're a bit of the second movement and then coming again, it's like, not that either. Third movement, beautiful, incredibly beautiful movement. The bass is coming and say. Yeah, that's that's really nice. But no, not that either. And then the basses, as if somebody humming to themselves, play alone. They play the whole joy theme. And then a singer stands up, says, Friends, not these tones. Let's sing something more lively and wonderful. And he starts singing with the words the owe to joy. And the chorus picks it up. And the symphony from that point just, he takes that theme into the most incredible directions.
0: symphony the audience is on their feet it's
1: one of the most moving stories in his life uh the end of the symphony finished and he wasn't finished he was still beating time
0: he was completely wrapped up in the music in his head still conducting he wasn't even watching the musicians in front of him
1: and the audience for the first time just sort of had it in front of them. Oh my God, he really is deaf. And there was an explosion of screams and cheers and applause, which he couldn't hear. So finally the soprano turned him around so he could look at the audience and see that he was having probably the biggest ovation in his life. And it, in a way, I don't think it computed. He didn't He didn't actually respond, which is so sad. It's just so terribly sad to me as a composer. It's sad that he would improvise for hours music he couldn't hear. It's so sad that he couldn't hear the greatest ovation of his
0: life. And yet, critics at the time didn't really know what to make of the ninth. It was so different from anything that had come before.
1: The, The reviews of the Ninth Symphony were respectful, let's put it that way. They were not gonna put him down, but it was clear that relatively few people had any idea what he was up to with this one.
0: It didn't help that the musicians had been so overmatched. The performance was scrappy, the piece didn't come through exactly as Beethoven had intended.
1: It was a while before it could actually be pulled together properly and it could be understood at its full value.
0: But in his own time, Beethoven was not discouraged. He knew what he had accomplished. He did
1: not go to his grave saying, my late music has failed or anything like that. He went to his grave understanding that he had made his mark in history, and that's what he
0: intended to do. He achieved his goal, for one, of writing an anthem. The melody of the Ninth Symphony is the anthem of the European Union. And it's also come close to being an anthem for humanity. Beethoven's ultimate dream.
1: The fact that tune, once you've got it into your head, anybody can sing it and everybody can remember it, it has become what he
0: intended it to be. Orchestras across the world play the Ninth Symphony to close their seasons. It's played by musicians in Japan every New Year's Eve. It was blasted on speakers at the Tiananmen Square protests. It was performed at the fall of the Berlin Wall.
1: He believed in immortality. He felt that he deserved it. And by the end of his life, he pretty much knew that he had earned it.
0: Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Brian Flood, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Audio from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony was provided courtesy of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Chorus and Ricardo Muti Music. Thank you so much to them. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you next week.